Chapter 4 Arabella rode the overgrown path to Renton. She needed the company of Ina and Siana. The main route through the village would be filled with Dalryadan men, including her father. He'd likely be upset for her leaving Cashel, but she couldn't stay there any longer. Arabella's path opened to a field that once boasted a bounty of golden barley. She stopped. The remains of Kenneth's home sat ashen grey in the distance. The smoke had ceased, but the charred remains of the black wooden heap lay as a reminder of all that was lost. She recalled Kenneth wandering through the rubble, his pitiful countenance overcome with loss. She remembered his empty stare and how it was filled with a thousand questions and how she had no answers to offer. She covered her mouth as tears welled in her eyes. She thought of Kenneth standing at the edge of Renton, then she fought to keep herself from imagining something worse. Arabella turned her horse toward Chorich's small home that sat across the field. She wiped her eyes and rode forward, anxious to find Siana. She needed her friend. Her anxiety grew as she approached, her emotions twisting with hope and sadness, relief and fear. Smoke rose from the small chimney that poked through the modest thatch roof. Arabella found comfort in the sight. She dismounted her horse and walked to the door. Standing there, she wondered what she would say, and who she would see. She opened the door. Arabella. Ina dropped her half-peeled potato onto the counter. Arabella ran to Ina and clutched her in her arms. Thank the Lord. Arabella. Siana lowered a log beside the hearth, hurried to her friend, and swallowed her in a hug. Oh, Ina, Siana, I was so scared for you. I am so sorry all this has happened. Ina's brow furrowed, and she searched for a smile. Darling, I was so glad to hear you were safe. Like a mother, she brushed back Arabella's hair. I'm scared for Nessa and the boys. I think about them every moment. I cannot sleep, I? They'll be all right, Ina. The men will find them and bring them home, Siana interrupted her mother-in-law, trying to be hopeful. Chorich and Alpin and the others will find them. They're out there and they'll find them. Is my father with them? Arabella asked. Have they left to face the Vikings? Ina pulled off her soiled apron and laid it on the table, fretting and laboring at the same time to temper her emotions. Alpin and Chorich took Ronan, and Les with them. They went to find Kenneth, Aidan, and Nessa, she said. Trying to busy herself, she grabbed a handful of potatoes and placed them into a pan. Chorich wanted to go after Nessa and the boys without waiting, but Alpin insisted they wait for the other men, they waited as long as they could, but then the four left alone. Ina glanced at Arabella. The whole thing is so awful. Donald is not himself. His father is gone. His brothers and sister are gone. He's hardly spoken a word since all this happened. Arabella stood in a stupor, wanting to say something helpful, something encouraging. She knew Donald's fears, his confusion, his anger. She had faced the same in her own personal tragedy, one that no child should endure. Where is Donald now? she asked, with a tinge of reticence. I sent him to gather some wood, Ina replied. Seeing you will lift his spirits. She stepped to the hearth and removed a loaf of bread baking over the hot flames. Lost in thought, Ina pressed the top of the loaf with a single finger then gently placed the loaf beside the hearth to cool. After they left, the others began arriving in Renton. The village is now overrun with men. They're everywhere, 
Your father said they were going after the others, even leaving today, but some of the men from Dumbarton, Gura and his son, Taran, caused a stir insisting they reconsider. There is talk that Gura wants to seek help from the Picts. Luog, and your father are furious. Ina glanced about the room, as if searching for another item requiring her diligent attention. She paused, gazed at Arabella, and then briskly passed by her. In an attempt to hide her agitation with the men, Ina further distracted herself by wiping the table and straightening the surrounding chairs. Satisfied, she turned and stared at the cooling loaf of bread, Siana and I have given the men as much bread and stew as we can muster. I suppose we have more to offer them now. She half smiled and gently pressed her finger a second time onto the crown of the warm loaf, fighting to ignore the emotions welling inside her. I don't want them to leave for battle, but neither do I want Nessa and the boys to be prisoners in the hands of those animals. Arabella, they were awful, awful men. Ina turned from the bread, and her gaze fell upon the girls. She cupped her palms over her face and rubbed her eyes. Siana drew a chair and prompted Ina to sit. Ina hesitated before slowly lowering herself into the seat. Deep down, Arabella couldn't help but empathize with the fragile woman that sat before her, a woman broken in spirit and soul. Arabella stirred in anger, even hatred for what the Viking savages had done. A desire for strength, a desire to fight, surged deep within. She kept her poise and stepped in front of Ina. A moment passed before she broke from her gaze and offered a sympathetic smile. Then she bent to hug Ina. It's going to be all right? Your boys are brave. Kenneth will find Nessa and Aidan, and he will help them, Arabella said with a calming, reassuring voice. She stood and faced Siana. And Chorich, and the others will help Kenneth find them. Arabella then paused, momentarily struck by a thought. My father thinks that I am in Cashel. If he and the men are still in Renton, then I will go to him. She hesitated. He will be upset that I've come, but I will speak to him. He will listen to me. I know it won't be easy, but he'll listen because he'll see that I'm only trying to help him. I'm certain I can to convince him that we can't lose any more time, that we have to search for the others now. Our men are strong, they can defeat the Vikings. Arabella knelt beside Ina. I will speak to my father. Ina had hardly heard a word. She remained despondent and numb, grimacing. Arabella, I'm afraid of what lies ahead. When the Vikings attacked our home, Aidan fought against them, he saved me. He fought so bravely. But there were too many. They wrestled and fell into the fire, and I heard him scream. It was awful. The fire was burning him. These men, they are murderers, they are heartless murderers, they. Don't say any more, Arabella blurted out. Her hands shot upward, pleading for Ina's words to cease. I saw them fight Kenneth in Renton. I know they're awful. But we must trust our people will be protected. What the men can't do, we must trust God to do. I trust he is watching Kenneth right now, protecting him, Arabella said, struggling to reassure herself as much as the other two. We have to hope that they'll escape, or survive until our men reach them. We must pray for that. Place him on the bed, the old man said as he hurried into the room behind the others. The man, a physician of sorts, carried a worn basket filled with medicinal herbs and several jars of ointments varying in color and consistency. He stepped to the far side of the bed as the four men with painted arms placed their patient on the straw mattress. 
Tell Angus about the Scot, the old man said. But tell him I'm not certain the boy will make it. All right, I'll see Angus. But Matte, try to keep him alive, Vrogan replied, as he and the others departed the room. The old picked physician was a wiry man of medium height. The back and sides of his head were donned with stringy, unkempt grey hair, while the top of his skull remained quite barren of any locks at all. He squinted when he worked and had an odd habit of sniffling and rubbing his nose. As for his dress, his clothes were much like that of the servants in the picked castle, yet his appearance differed in that he didn't bear the body paintings of the others. The old physician leaned toward his patient and began to inspect the burns along the young man's face and neck. The wounds were severe and extended from his cheek down to his left bicep. Matte lifted the young man's eyelids, but the pupils showed no response. Then he placed his ear on his patient's chest and listened for a heartbeat. The rhythm was steady, but weak. Matte sorted through his collection of ointments, eventually finding his desired concoction. Grabbing the round, fluted jar, he carefully poured the viscous ointment, dripping it slowly onto the burns of his unresponsive patient. The milky drops formed small puddles as they settled onto the tortured skin. What have we here? Angus called out as he entered the room. My lord, the men have found a young Scot, though I fear the boy is waging war against death itself, a war he may lose in the end. Angus approached the bed and peered down at the, the patient. His lip arched into a snarl at first sight of the burns. Then his gaze traced over the swath of festering blisters, and his eyes locked on the silver cross around the boy's neck. He stepped closer and placed his hand on the boy's head, turning it to see the unburned side of his face. Angus, what are you doing? Matte exclaimed. Only looking at the boy, Matte. Relax. Angus peered closer at the boy's face and grinned. Matte, this boy may be worth more to me than you are, even if you are my physician, if he dies, you may not be far behind. Make sure he stays alive. I need him. When Angus finished admonishing the old physician, he turned to leave. I expect to hear of his recovery soon, he called back as he exited the room. Yes, my lord, Matte replied to an empty doorway, his voice carrying an unhidden quiver. He spun and scurried about until he found the broad cloth he was searching for. Ripping the cloth into strips, he laid the strips flat and coated them with the milky ointment. Carefully, he applied the strips to the boy's burns. Then he wrapped the remaining cloth over the bandaging strips, enveloping a sizable portion of his patient's shoulder, neck, and face. Once finished with the wraps, the old physician returned to his basket and removed the only elixir that held any promise of reviving the boy, assuming the boy would ever wake to drink the fluid.